Today's reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause-effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When the night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes, and said, Go, wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, Why, isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, It's him, all right. But others objected. It's not the man at all. It just looks like him. He said, It's me, the very one. They said, How did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's be to God. Thank you, dear. You know, Jesus describes the word of God as seed when planted in good soil. Bears great fruit. I, I think I'm bringing good seed to you this morning. But we have to prepare the soil, prepare our hearts. Because it's easy to sit through a sermon but not engage and receive the Word of God. And so uh, we're going to bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to help us with that. Let's bow our heads now and pray together. Lord God, Your Word will go forth, and we want to receive it so we can believe it, and having believed it, take action on it, and having taken action on it, become the people You call us to be. So help us now to surrender our hearts to You, to be open and receptive to whatever Your Spirit wants to do in us, to us, through us. Thank you for this privilege. May we receive it with joy. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to play a little game with you this morning, if you don't mind. Uh, we're going to put a picture up on the screen in just a minute. And when we have you take a look at that and tell me what you see. Are you ready? All right, let's take a look. Here's a picture. How many see the white vase in that picture? Hey, this is an easy one. So, How many see the silhouette of two people looking at each other? Don't you see that? Yeah, You've seen this thing before, haven't you? That's easy. All right, here's another one. How many people see a duck? How many people see a rabbit? There's a rabbit there. Right? You see it? The duck is looking one way, the rabbit's looking the other way. The bill of the duck is actually the ears of the rabbit. Does that help? All right, here's another one. How many of you see a young 
woman, sort of the profile of a young woman as she's turning and looking over her shoulder. Let me see that. How many see kind of an older, somewhat haggard woman with her chin down on her chest? Do you see that? Some of you do. Some of you aren't playing. <laughs> Some of you gather in the narthex and say, whatever he says to do, we're not doing it. We're not playing along with this. This is church. All right, here's another one. Here's another one. How many see a guy playing a saxophone? Still, what of a guy playing a saxophone? Yes, let me do. How many see the face of a woman there? Yeah. It took me a while to see that one, but eventually I saw it. All right, here, here's another one. How many see the word good? How many see the word evil? You see it in there? Huh? The E inside the G and the V? Okay, all right. Last one, I promise. Here we go. How many of you see the profile of somebody kind of looking down, like they almost got some fancy glasses on? How many see that profile? How many of you see a word there? The word is liar, right? You see that? This one was really hard for me. For some reason, I I immediately saw the profile of the person. I was looking at these online, and, and, you know, it said in the description that the word liar was in there. I could not see it. I looked and looked and couldn't see it. Finally, all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I saw it. I was like, wow, how could I have not seen that? It's so obvious. And then every time I look at it, I, I see the word. But it was staring me in the face for the longest time, and I, I couldn't see it. But it was right there. Now that I can see it, I can't miss it. That's the way it is with those things. I could see the duck, but not the rabbit. Now when I look, the rabbit just hops out at me, so to speak. And, and I can see them both. Right? You know, we use the term blindness typically to refer to someone who has the inability to see. They can't see. Their eyes don't work. And we think of people like Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and Helen Keller, and we think of blindness in that way. But, you know, we also use the term blindness in another way. To talk about people who can see with their physical eyes, but can't always perceive something. Right? Like when you're looking at the picture, you can see the the profile of a person, but you may not be able to perceive the word liar in that. There's a distinction between being able to see something and being able to perceive it. Isn't that true? Yeah. Sometimes when you say, well, man, I was blind to that. You know, what we're saying is you you couldn't perceive it. Webster's Dictionary gives us an interesting, I think a helpful definition of the word perception. Let's take a look at that definition. The ability to become aware of something, to understand something in a particular way. Sometimes when we say someone's blind, we're saying they're not able to perceive. I love this dictionary from Webster. By the way, you know how Webster's Dictionary got started, don't you? You ever heard how Webster's Dictionary got started? It seems that Mr. and Mrs. Webster got into an argument and, well, one word led to another. (laughs) Come on, that's that's a great joke. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I just love telling that joke. But this distinction between sight and perception is a very important one, especially when it comes to our Christian faith, because the Christian faith fundamentally is an ability to perceive and not just see. It's an ability to notice God's work in the midst of our lives and our circumstances, and in fact to interpret our lives and our circumstances in light of the truth of God's Word. When the Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight, it's talking about being able to perceive beyond just what we see and to be able to interpret appropriately according to our faith. So, so let me ask you the question. How are you doing these days at interpreting 
your life, your circumstances, your opportunities, your challenges, your resources? How are you, how are you doing at seeing everything that's going on in your life and interpreting it in light of your faith, perceiving how God may be, no, is at work in that? You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the weather was unusually nice. It was cooler, and uh, the particular Wednesday, it was just beautiful. You know, temps in the low 80s, no humidity. A buddy of mine went out to Sky Meadows State Park to do some hiking out near Winchester, and uh, we go way up on this hill, and we're way up high. We're catching our breath because we're old guys, and uh, we're looking out, and it's just a, an amazing, beautiful vista of the Shenandoah Valley, just beautiful. And we're up there looking at it, and then he uh, he takes his sunglasses off and he hands them to me. He said, hey, look look at this through my sunglasses. So I take my sunglasses off and I put them on. And oh my gosh. I put these sunglasses on. It was like I was seeing things totally different. I mean, it was the same view, but it looked so different now. There's something about those glasses. The, the, the colors were so vibrant. Everything was so clear and distinct. It was amazing. I, I, I said, what are these? He says, oh, these are Smith's polychrome sunglasses. I'd never heard of that. But he he said, they're $170. <laughs> and uh, he said, I was out uh, on a trip out west, and I was in a, a fishing store, and the salesman talked me into buying these. I have not regretted it. It's amazing when I wear these things. He says, I don't know how they work, but everything looks so much better in these glasses. And uh, I, I never spend more than 20 bucks on sunglasses because I lose them all the time. Right? I can't tell you how many times I've been walking out of a grocery store or walking out of a restaurant and an employee is running behind me. Sir, sir, you forgot your sunglasses. It happens all the time. So uh, I didn't want to give those glasses back to him, but he insisted. So I did and put mine on. But it's amazing how just changing sunglasses changed my perception. Get where I'm going with this? Faith is seeing the world, seeing reality, seeing life. In a new way. It's perceiving it in the way that God says. Perceiving it according to the way God says we should perceive it. We often hear the expression that seeing is believing. Flip that around. When it comes to faith, believing is seeing. See, we, we tend to want to say, well, I'll, I'll trust in Jesus. Uh, when, I, when I see it, I'll believe it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Believe it and then you'll see it. It changes your perspective. Faith is a decision to choose your perception of your life, your resources, your challenges, your past, your present, your future. To interpret that in light of who God says you are, what God says Jesus has done for you, what plans and purposes God has in your life. When, we, when you change and begin to see with faith, it changes who you are. Because we act based on our beliefs. We become what we believe. Who you are today is the result of what you believed yesterday. Who you'll be tomorrow is a consequence of what you're choosing to believe today. We believe and we see and we act and we become. That's how faith works. And so what we're doing is we're trying to understand what it means to live by faith. To see the world the way Jesus wants us to see that. And to help us, we've got today's scripture lesson. So welcome back to our 
teaching on the life and teachings of Jesus. Right now we're in the miracles that Jesus performed, looking at these miracles. And as we have been saying, miracles serve two purposes. The miracles authenticate Jesus' identity. They prove that he is who he says he is. But they also have a message. They have a teaching. They have a lesson we're to learn. So we're looking at these miracles and we're asking the question, what is... What is the message in the miracle? What what lesson am I supposed to learn? And the lesson we want to learn is how we perceive changes everything. How we choose to see changes everything. And Jesus wants to open our eyes so we can see in a certain way. And if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 9. This is the story of Jesus giving a blind man his sight. The man has been blind from birth. In, In verse 1 it says, As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. And then in verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, because he's been born blind? Isn't that an odd question? Jesus, who sinned? This guy's blind. He's been blind since birth. So why is he blind? Did he sin in the womb somehow or did his parents sin? See, there was a belief back in those days, a very common belief that if something bad happened to you or some tragedy happened to you or you were born with some physically handicapping condition, that God was punishing sin. for, And that was the way you were going to experience, kind of like our modern idea of karma, right? That, that when something bad happens, you're being punished for sin. And so that's what the disciples are asking. You remember the story in, in Job, in the Old Testament? Here's Job, he has everything. He's wealthy, he's got a great family, he's living the dream, everybody respects him, looks up to him, and he walks with God. And then... He loses it all, just like that. His children are killed in an accident. His livestock and all his wealth is taken from him. He gets physically sick. His house collapses. He he loses everything, and he's sitting on an ash heap with sores all over his body. And his friends feel so awful that this has happened to him. They go to, to talk to him, and what do they say when they get there? They say, Job, what did you do to tick God off? See? They believed that Job was suffering for some sin. He said, Job, hurry up and confess whatever sin you're hiding so this can stop. That was the assumption in those days. Sometimes it's still the assumption in these days. I think the truth is, friends, please don't email me. God does punish sin. Usually God deals with our sin by letting us experience the natural consequences of our choices. And there's a connection between behavior, and consequences. But we can't look at our lives and say, when something bad happens, oh, God must be punishing me. Do do we want to pick up the the newspaper and read about that earthquake in Italy and say, what did those Italians do to tick off God? I can still remember early in my ministry, a young pastor serving a small church, a woman came to see me. She'd visit our church a few times, and she was in tears. Uh, She was a school teacher, taught third grade, and... uh, She'd been having an affair with a married man. He had children. She had children, too. They were both married with their own families. They'd been in this affair for several months. And uh, now this man she was having an affair with, his his son had encephalitis in the brain, and uh, they had to take him off life support. He was going to die. She was convinced God was punishing them for their affair. That's the way some people think. Now, let's be clear. Adultery is a sin. Having affairs is wrong. But 
You don't look at your life that way. You don't look and say, when something awful happens, it must be for something I did. You don't get in a, in a car accident and say, oh, it must have been for that cuss word I said last week, right? The, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this, this man or his parents, and he was born blind? And Jesus says, hey, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not who sinned. The question is what can God do in this situation? See, see the disciples wanted to blame somebody. Jesus wanted to bless somebody. The disciples wanted to have a theological discussion about why people are born blind. Jesus wanted to bring the power of God into this circumstance and make a difference. And so, that's what he did. Jesus heals this blind man in a, in a most unusual way. He, he spits into the ground, makes some, some mud with his spittle into the ground, and he puts it on his hands and he rubs it into the eyes of the blind man and then he says now go down to the pool of Siloam and wash that out Siloam was a famous pool in those days and the 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 water from the pool of Siloam was used in the sacrifices at the temple and that sort of thing it's famous uh pool and the guy goes down to the pool of Siloam did you read he did what Jesus said we've noticed this before but let me just say it again Miracles happen through obedience, right? Obedience opens the doors to the miracle. The reason this guy experienced the miracle was not because Jesus put mud in his eye. It's because when Jesus said, go and do, he went and did. And we often miss this in our lives. How many miracles God wants to do in our lives? How many miracles God wants to do in our circumstances and situations? How many blessings God wants to bring to us, but we miss it? Because when he says, go and do... We don't go and we don't do. Right? See, we've got to avoid two extremes in our lives. When it comes to our challenges and our difficulties and our struggles, we've got to avoid two extremes. One extreme is denial, and the other is despair. See, sometimes we want to deny we've got issues. We want to deny there's a problem. Can you imagine the blind man when he's called over to Jesus says, Who are you, who are you calling blind? I'm not blind. I, I, I can see just fine. Leave me alone. No, he knew he was blind. He wasn't going to deny it. So often, friends, we want to deny the challenges, the struggles, the problems in our lives. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus can't heal what you and I won't face. Right? Jesus can't fix it if we won't face it. We don't want to deny it. We want to acknowledge it so we can bring it to Jesus and let him do something about it. Right? But the, but, but the other problem is, if we don't deny, sometimes we despair. We get overwhelmed by the problem or the challenge or the circumstance. We get that stinking thinking. Could you imagine, could you imagine after Jesus put the, the mud in the blind man's eyes, he just sat down and said, Oh, this is terrible. Not only am I a blind man, now Jesus putting mud in my eye. I can't believe this. Oh, God hates me. This is terrible. No. He didn't despair. He went and did. See, the reality, friends, is true faith allows us to see our problems, our challenges, our struggles in such a way that we, we don't deny and we don't despair. Faith takes us beyond denial and above despair. Amen? You and I need to see our world, see our lives, see our circumstances in such a way that it takes us beyond denial and above despair. And Jesus wants to take us there. See, 
we have to acknowledge the possibilities while we're acknowledging the realities at the same time. Because if we want to enjoy the fruits of a miracle, it starts with the roots of obedience. And you don't get to obedience unless you acknowledge it and take action according to doing what Jesus says. You see life differently, and because you see life differently, you're willing to trust and obey what Jesus is calling you to do. The blind man went and did as Jesus commanded, and now he could see. And the rest of the story involves this argument. If you read on in John 9, we won't read it, but there's this argument between Jesus and the religious leaders, and the blind man and the religious leaders. The religious leaders are angry because Jesus once again has healed on the Sabbath. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. They were always angry at Jesus when he performed miracles on the Sabbath because you weren't supposed to do that. And Jesus told them, hey, the Sabbath is for healing. And, and so there was a, they're fighting back and forth over that. And the blind man, they're asking him, how is it you can see? He can't, Jesus can't be a man of God because he healed you on the Sabbath. And I love what the man says. He said, look, all I can tell you is I was blind. Jesus told me to go and do. I went and did. Now I can see. Right, And so the story ends with this kind of ironic comment that Jesus makes. And don't miss this. The, the irony of it all is this, this man who was blind can now see because of Jesus. And the religious leaders who claimed they could see or perceive God were totally blind to what God was doing. See, faith calls you and me to perceive what it is God wants to do in our lives, in our circumstances. So, so, so here's the question. How do you perceive? And how do you train yourself to perceive the way God intends for us to perceive the realities of our life? Two suggestions here as we kind of begin to wrap things up. First of all, if you want to see with the eyes of faith, if you want to invite God into your circumstances... The first thing you do is pay attention to how you talk to yourself. Self-talk is very important. We need to engage in what I call sacred talk. Choosing to speak the Word of God into our circumstances, into our situations, into our challenges, into our opportunities. See, words have power. Words have energy. Words communicate thoughts and ideas. You've, You've heard the expression, what you see is what you get. Here's one you should write down. What you say is what you get. This is why the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. When you get into challenging struggles, when you look at your problems, when you look at your issues, what do you say about them? What do you say to yourself about them? See, the truth is, left on its own without us intervening, the human brain tends to move toward thoughts of discouragement, worry, fear, anxiety. Hey, in two weeks we're going to do a a sermon on worry. You want to be here for that. You want to be here for that. But for now, let me make this very clear. What you say in your circumstances is under your control, and it's one of the most important things you can do to begin to perceive with faith. Start speaking God's truth, God's promises into your circumstances. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I love what Stephen Furtick, he's a pastor down in North Carolina, I love what he says about this. He he teaches his congregation a little phrase that they're to say to themselves when they're going through difficulties. Uh, he, he says, acknowledge the reality, but then invite faith into that reality. So you say, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Isn't that good? I wish I'd have thought of that. But I can pass it on to you. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Say it with me. It is what it is, 
but it's not what it seems. See, it is what it is gets you beyond denial. You can't deny it. It is what it is. It's, it's a reality in my life. But then you inject faith, which gets you above despair. It's not what it seems. This past Tuesday, my, my wife Lynn and I went down to Gloucester, Virginia to visit Dave and Phyllis Russell. Some of you know Dave and Phyllis. Long-time members of our church. Moved to Gloucester this winter. In fact, the weekend of that really bad snowstorm we had, which I call a really good snowstorm. But anyway, uh, th- that was the weekend they, they were moving to Gloucester. But uh, about a, a year and a half ago, Dave was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 melanoma. And uh, he's been fighting the good fight, going through treatments and surgeries, all kinds of things. And uh, Phyllis called last, well, a week before last to say, hey, uh, we're stopping all treatments. We're bringing in hospice, and we're just going to enjoy whatever time we have left. And uh, so uh, went down there to see him. And uh, if you know anything about Dave and Phyllis, the joy in that house is palpable. I want you to know that they still love each other. They still love God. They take every day as a gift. And while Dave has slowed down, he still has the same laughter, the same joy. They're not denying what the reality is. They know it is what it is. But they also know it's not what it seems. You you know how they refer to Dave's death, his upcoming death? They call it his graduation day. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that's what it looks like when God's people trust God's word and speak that word into their situations and circumstances, it begins to change the way you see everything and it begins to change the way you think about everything and it changes the way you behave. And the real miracle is not what you get. The real miracle is who you become in the process. Can I get an amen on that? Because see, we become what we believe and we are called as God's people to believe what God says and affirm that. And when the challenges come, we just got to say, it is what it is. But it's not what it seems. Some of you have money issues right now in your life. Too much month at the end of the money. You're in debt. You're struggling. You're fighting over every dollar and penny. And you're getting mad at your spouse and your kids. And It is what it is. But it's not what it seems. Financial Peace University will teach you how to acquire the skills, the wisdom, and the knowledge to handle God's resources God's way. Some of you are having trouble in your marriage. And you're you're not treating each other with respect and dignity. You get into this cycle of fighting. And then after the fight, you, you promise to do better, but you don't do better because promising to do better is not a strategy for fixing a marriage. It is what it is. But it's not what it seems. It's an opportunity to learn how to love the way Jesus calls us to love, how to forgive the way Jesus calls us to forgive, how to invite the presence and power of God into that marriage so that now you become a role model to your neighbors, to your kids, of what Jesus can do when two people commit themselves to loving each other God's way. Some of you are having trouble with your kids right now. And your kids are doing things you don't like and They're getting an attitude and you're pushing back and it's not getting better. Hey, it is what it is. But it's not what it seems. Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to make whatever changes have to be made to learn to acquire the skills. Because parenting is a skill you can develop. 
how to handle it. Some of you got issues with your job. Some of you got issues with school starting and you're all nervous about school and you're all upset about your job. Whatever it is, it is what it is. But it's not what it seems. Some of you are burdened with sin and the shame and the guilt that goes with that. You're stuck in addictions. You're dealing with mess. And you're you're starting to get to despair. Hey, it is what it is. But it's not what it seems. Because Jesus went to the cross and died there for our sin. And they put him in a tomb. And they said, that's it, it's done. It is what it is. But it's not what it seems. God rose Jesus from the dead. God sent the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in your circumstances, in my circumstances, in your life and in my life, so that we can perceive reality the way God says, take action the way God says, and experience the miracles that God has for us. But you've got to do what Jesus says to experience the miracle that Jesus has. And He can't fix it if we won't face it. But if we will face it with faith, we'll discover it's not punishment. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to be the people we were meant to be. William McRaven is a uh, 36-year Navy SEAL veteran. And he talks about uh, his uh, early days when he was training to become a SEAL. He, he was a candidate and went to SEAL school. And then in, in the training phase, when they're, where they're weeding out the candidates, they put you through a ton of really challenging physical trials. Calisthenics, swimming, running... All kinds of stuff, all the time. And you have certain standards you have to meet. You have to do all this in, in a certain time. And at the end of the day, if you didn't meet your time in all these different events they had you uh, train in, if you missed it and you didn't get it done in the right time, on your way to dinner, they'd give you an invitation. The invitation was to something that the trainers called the circus. And it wasn't the circus. It was an additional two hours of intensive training. After a full day of training, when you want to go have dinner and just collapse, you get an invitation to go to the circus instead for two more hours of what you've just been through. The purpose of the circus was to weed out the quitters from the winners. And uh, McRaven, because he was kind of on the low end of the seals, got a lot of invitations to the circus. And he persevered. He, he, he realized that when you're, when you're going through the circus, you'll either give up in despair or you'll dig deep and find something inside of you to keep going. And he, he, he began to notice the difference between the SEAL candidates who gave up and the SEAL candidates who stayed in and got better. And the difference was how they viewed that invitation. The SEALs that quit viewed the invitation as punishment. For not meeting the standard. The seals that found something deep within them and got better and kept going and made the cut, they saw the invitation as an invitation to get better. To, to find something inside them that they didn't know was there. To prove there was a different way to approach the circus. Okay? You know something, friends? You and I... We go through circuses all the time, don't we? 
And you got a, you got a choice how you're going to perceive that, how you're going to look at that. Is it punishment? Or is it an opportunity to get better? It is what it is. But it's not what it seems. And the reality, the promise of this story of Jesus and the blind man, the promise is that if we will see our challenges, our opportunities, our circumstances in the right way, it'll change the way we respond to them. And in the process, we'll become a different kind of person. Because seeing is believing, but also believing is seeing. And when we see the right way, God is glorified. Miracles happen. We change. And if you believe it, you'll begin to see it.